I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me, Ashish Katkar, founder and chief executive officer of Verinight. Verinight has published a white paper entitled Guide to Card Management System Implementation for Banks in Asia. Let's set the scene, if we can, please, first, Ashish. What are the key trends in card payments in Asia? Obviously, cards and payments is an area of interest to all of us. I think since last 15, 16 months, since the onset of COVID, obviously, digital payments has really taken off. But there are a few clear-cut trends I think we are seeing as far as Asia-Pacific is concerned. I think uh, first and foremost, I think which we all of us know probably, there is expansion of digital payments. Thanks to the internet and uh, penetration of mobile phones, So generally, we've seen that businesses across Asia-Pacific had to accelerate their digital transformation. So there is expansion of digital payments everywhere. That's a very important trend that we are seeing. Apart from that, there is a continued search for contactless payments. Obviously, whether it is in form of, say, QR code, whether it is in form of uh, e-wallets. So there is undoubtedly, there is a huge trend uh, towards digital payments. Apart from that, we are seeing, now this is again something to do with COVID probably, but more things are being uh, being bought on mobile. Obviously, due to the pandemic, most of the countries have, have, have had stricter lockdowns. Even if you look at India, we are also uh, under a lockdown. So uh, because of which there is a tremendous push for e-commerce companies. In fact, in India, e-commerce was considered to be, uh, was a service that was allowed during this uh, lockdown period as well. So more things are being brought on mobile. So that's that's definitely one important shift that we are seeing. And obviously, I think buy now, pay later, DNPL. I think that's a blue-eyed buy, uh, buy for now. And we are, we are seeing a lot of different kinds of DNPL schemes being launched or traditional payment methods. Although BNPL is not new, but we are, we are seeing that people seem to be choosing them over, over even in fact, sometimes over cards as well, because they allow that kind of flexibility. So buy now, pay later is speaking. So there are about these three, four trends that we are clearly seeing in Asia. That's the background. What are the strategic approaches that people are taking when it comes to implementing schemes? First and foremost, I think what we have seen, uh, Robin, is... In some cases, I mean, obviously, if you have to look at banks and financial institutions, I can roughly categorize them into three states. Some of the banks and financial institutions are definitely ready in terms of their platforms to enable these new payment trends and all that. And then there is a second group, which probably some, sits somewhere in between. And then third group is what we will call as laggards uh, in terms of their ability to implement or take advantage of these new trends. So one of the bigger approaches we are seeing with banks and fintechs is uh, they are genuinely looking at upgrading their platforms so that they are able to innovate, they're able to launch newer products, which will allow them to take advantage of the trends that we are seeing. So one of the bigger approaches that we are seeing is banks really taking a hard look at their systems and seeing if these are the systems which can really support them over the next five years or so. And there is a clear I mean, a clear visibility that the payment trends are going to change now, uh, whether it has been accelerated by COVID or not, but the payments world is going to change, and which means banks taking a real hard look at their systems to see if they are going to support them over the next five to seven or seven-year horizon. So that's that's one key change or approach that we are seeing from banks. 
Well, let's be honest. If banks do not ride this wave, they are going to get left behind because people will, customers will go to the institution that allows them to pay how they want, when they want, and with what they want. Absolutely, Robin. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the reasons bank are, banks are feeling the pressure is because of fintech companies. Obviously, fintech companies have been around, but in last 16, 18 months, the kind of experience these fintech companies have been able to offer to the customers uh, on digital payment side has been huge. I mean, it's so different from your traditional banks. So now, as a customer, I'm also a customer. I also expect similar kind of an experience from my uh, net banking, from my mobile banking, from the apps that my bank provides. So the expectations have changed. And if they don't cater to these expectations, I think they'll be left behind. You said it right. Well, let's look at how banks are going to get it right then. What would you say were the key best practices? Obviously, now if we if we pick up this as an approach where we talk about, say, Banks looking at really revamping their technology architecture, take a hard look of the payments uh, platforms. There are key aspects that banks will have to probably look at. Now, first and foremost, if they have to get it right, importantly, first and foremost, they will have to do is pick up a right model for themselves. Obviously, when it comes to payment platforms, you can either go for a licensing on approach or say outsourcing TPP kind of a model, third party payment processing model. So I think first step would be getting that model right. After that, making sure that they choose, once they have finalized the model, then go and choose the right system, a right partner, which takes care of their needs, their immediate needs, their medium term needs, and their long term needs. I'm talking about a five to seven year horizon. So I think that would be a key uh, important thing that they will have to do. I mean, so first deciding on the model, then ma- making sure that they have chosen a right system. And then, I mean, obviously going and really executing that project well. And we've seen even even Gartner study says that when it comes to say cards implementation or migration projects, about 60 to 70 percent projects fail. And uh, which means that there is a high probability of you getting it wrong. And hence, it's extremely important that the planning and the execution of such projects is right, uh, which means apart from choosing the right system, you also need to have right partners, whether it is system integration partners or others uh, who support you, say, from a project management perspective, from a testing perspective. So getting those partners right as well, so as to improve your ability to execute this project successfully uh, within time as per the quality standards and within budget as well. So I think uh, uh, getting system right and then executing this implementation is extremely important. You can't disagree. I cannot disagree with you saying it's extremely important. I'm just digesting that failure rate you described. How do we as an industry, how do you, as Verinite, make sure that that failure rate comes down or goes away entirely? Because that's a lot of time, money and effort people are investing into upgrading a system for it not to be suitable. What are the key do's and don'ts to make sure you get this right? Absolutely. I think um, uh, over the period of time, I mean, Robin, you'll be amazed. In last three years, we've done about 25 plus switching our card systems implementations. It involves uh, Greenfield as well as migrations or upgrades as well. But obviously, uh, the biggest advantage we have got because of uh, this experience is we've been able to really identify the challenges, common challenges that banks uh, typically go through when they embark on such an 
such a such an important transformation for themselves. So I, I can easily talk about some few do's and don'ts through those challenges. I think one of the first important challenge we noticed was defining the project scope itself. When you want to say replace your system with, uh, from a legacy to a new one, obviously one of the key driving, significant driving factor behind such a migration is availability of those new capabilities, functionalities, features. Now, uh, obviously what happens is while you're embarking on such a project, uh, there is always an urge to accomplish multiple objectives from such a single project. Therefore, uh, we've seen that uh, a migration project, a car system migration project becomes an umbrella project for say multiple sub projects, uh, whether it could be product upgrades, launching some uh, digitalization initiatives, adding some customer service channels, launching few value add services. So you have this migration going on and suddenly you have added some uh, multiple sub projects, which are again critical on their own. So quickly this, this project becomes an extremely complicated project because there would be dependencies that would get introduced. The idea looks appealing because you get a quick ROI realization. But what happens is addition of these sub projects means you add more stakeholders, you add technical challenges, dependencies in already complicated project. So what happens is if there are delays on any of these dependent sub projects, it, it derails and delays the main project, which was your migration upgrading your uh, system. So we've seen defining project scope is extremely important activity and which comes right at the start of the project, uh, which we call as a conceptualization requirement gathering phase. And it's extremely important that the focus is kept narrow. So we clearly know we are going to stick to only the migration part of it and try to avoid uh, these other sub-projects to come in. So clearly define the MVP and try to achieve that MVP without complicating it further. I think another couple of challenges that I would definitely like to mention, one of the most common challenge we have seen is shared resource management. Now, when, when you embark on a project as a bank, uh, you have people, uh, your technology resources, business resources, operation resources, who are already running the bank for you. So they are already working on their own projects, their production support activities, their regular business as usual activities. So you have this functional technical analysts uh, from existing systems, which continue to support your day-to-day -day activities. And also they get pulled into this migration project task. Usually we have seen in banks, there is a culture of shared resources management. Obviously, I understand you cannot have dedicated teams across the bank just for running and then transforming in the bank. But the sharing creates a completely different problem, whether it is a functional technical analyst, your IT infrastructure guys, or your business users. So they, they really struggle to complete. Running the bank activities always take priority over transforming the bank. And in such cases, all the stakeholders really struggle to complete their activities on transforming the bank. We've seen shared resources management as one of the common, regularly occurring challenge, irrespective of the country where we have executed projects in Asia Pacific. So a very important common challenge. And I think to cater to that, to handle that, I think a bank should look at support because you cannot have dedicated resources because after such a transformation is done, you will need, not need all of them. So they should look for a partner who brings in that focused expertise around transformation and align with them so that the responsibility of transforming a bank resides with your uh, capable partner while the running of the bank is anyways being handled by your own folks. So that's that's something we have seen around shared resources management, I think. 
and uh, one of another point that i would like to touch upon robin is probably implementing quality checks we've seen especially i don't know whether it's it's something to do with asia pacific but quality assurance it's it's supposed to be or it's considered to be just a tick in the box activity in your entire implementation life cycle it's not given its due importance time in the project life cycle uh, itself so uh, it could be because of multiple reasons sometimes i've seen banks believe that they they rely on product vendor to deliver a perfect solution sometimes they believe scheme certification uh, covers all customer critical scenarios sometimes they believe only business users and operation teams are best place to conduct any testings so we've seen that there is not much importance given to testing or quality assurance so it's extremely important that banks factor that in uh, we always recommend this is a do from our side that uh, uh, at the early stage of the project itself the testing needs should be identified a necessary estimate should be taken from the professional testing teams and same should be incorporated in the project cost as well as scheduler and this should happen right when the business case for the transformation is getting approved necessary testing metrics uh, should be defined and captured at different stages of the project to showcase the benefits that come to the table when you involve or uh, a proper testing team for such a migration project so uh, these are few challenges i can mention i'm i'm sure there are more but i would i would just probably restrict it to these three thank you very much ashish katkar founder and chief executive officer of verinite and the white paper is called guide to card management system implementation for banks in asia